0: Escape, from plan A. Escape, escape, escape. From plan A.
1: Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Diana, and today I'm joined by two very special guests, Charlene. Hi. <laughs> and Charisse. Hi. You guys are first time guests. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, let's start with you, Charlene. Um, hi. Well, thanks, Diana, for
2: um, having me on the show. So, my name is Charlene Sayo, and I'm actually based in Vancouver, Canada. Um, so, just a little bit more west of you and a little bit more south of Charisse. And I am a longtime ally and friend of a firm, and I've actually attended some of their conferences in the last decade or so. So, that's a little bit of who, of who I am. I used to podcast, I write sometimes, I do my thing here in Vancouver, which is reading, writing and also helping out with this
0: Kanlugan, which is a website
2: that I think we'll be discussing more about today.
0: That's so awesome. How about you, Sharice? I am a five-year member of a firm uh, in the Los Angeles chapter. I'm a writer. I'm an intermittent adjunct professor. (laughs) Sometimes I'm a musician. And I've also been working on Kanlugan that we're about to discuss. Awesome. Um, Maybe let's talk about
1: Affirm, the group, and then talk about the website that you guys have been working really hard to build and that just came out. Okay, I'll take that.
0: <laughs> okay, so Affirm is a national organization that's based in the United States of women who are engaged in transnational feminism. We're an anti-imperialist activist org, and we're dedicated to the fight against oppression in all of its forms. We have a multi-ethnic membership, and we're committed to militant movement building from the United States and affects change through grassroots organizing, trans-ethnic alliance building, education, advocacy, and direct action. So, so we um, like to educate the public and we mobilize for direct actions like rallies and marches. Are you guys involved in the protests that are happening right now? yes we have some members who have attended who do not have pre-existing conditions the rest of us who are concerned about our health uh, have been organizing in the background raising money for bailout funds for BLM following BLM's lead in their asks so that includes social media blasts writing to legislators to pass what is called uh, the people's budget so to defund the police and reallocate that money to serve of the public, help out the homeless, advocate for universal health care, etc. Awesome.
1: You guys have also been uh, working on this website. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Okay. <laughs> so Ken Lungan is a digital um, memorial and tribute site that is dedicated to the fallen Filipino uh, medical health workers from around the world. A firm, their uh, transnational and international committee contacted me because I'm based here in Canada and introduced the project that they wanted to track the Filipino workers around the world. And so it'd be great to have somebody from Canada that would also be able to track and not necessarily represent, but maybe just talk more about the Canadian healthcare situation here and about Filipino healthcare workers. So of course I jumped on board because I think it's really important. So currently we're tracking healthcare workers, primarily in the United States, the UK, the Philippines, Canada, just any other countries where there's records of fallen healthcare workers due to the pandemic. That's what we've been looking at and we launched it
0: just um, last week just after Memorial Day in the United States. The reason that we started this website is because at the time that we came up with this idea, no one, news media or otherwise, was counting our dead across transnational borders. No one was really talking about healthcare worker exploitation and death. We wanted to highlight that. And I think like what we were seeing, because
2: many of us are, of course, in each other's like social media, we were taking the initiative as individuals to, you know, post up news stories every time there was another Filipino death just around the world. And so I think for a few weeks, we were, I think individually, we were keeping track. And then as Sharice was also just explaining that there isn't really a dedicated place online right now that gathers all Filipinos around the world in terms of really memorializing Filipino healthcare workers, certainly not here in Canada, like there's been some actions, but not not any dedicated website where you can really add names of fallen healthcare workers, if they're not reported in the media, or to even just see like who has died and get to know their names and their families as well. I think it's been a huge part of that project.
1: Yeah, it definitely helps to just aggregate that information. Once you see all of it together, it makes it makes a huge impact in a way that just having you know one blip on the social media radar every few days doesn't you see it all together for the past couple of years i've been making a list of all the anti-asian hate crimes
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the I u.s see. including you know crimes against women so like sexual assault stuff like that and when you see it all together it's just like holy shit this is a lot
0: Well, we found that the numbers are staggering, right? So like one in five nurses in California are Filipina, uh, as well as one in four Filipinos in the New Jersey, New York area is employed in the healthcare industry. And 34.4% of internationally trained nurses in Canada are from the Philippines. So like all of these numbers put together, like leads to a staggering number of deaths.
1: Right. I first found out about your organization also through social media. And I think one of your members posted that there are more Filipino healthcare workers who have died of COVID in the U.S. than in the Philippines. That blows my freaking mind
0: yeah it's
1: it's obscene yeah it's yeah that's a great word for it it's fucking disgusting is what it is like you can't fucking train your own people and you have to get somebody else to do it and you can't even fucking protect them or taking care of your people like fuck you
0: Yeah, well, and it was like designed that way. So, I mean, as we were putting together this website, we were digging into the history of like why there are so many Filipino nurses around the globe in quote unquote first world nations, right? Mm -hmm. And, And it started with the United States and the Filipino American War. Like, so as far back as 1898, when the United States officially began their military occupation of the Philippines, particularly after like hundreds of years of Spanish colonization it was the United States army that started training Filipinos so that they could provide care to American so- soldiers who were injured during the war that they waged against the Filipinos that established like all of these nursing schools that had survived over the last more than 100 years that's why we have dedicated training schools in the Philippines to send <laughs> nurses to the United States and Canada and Australia and the UK they- This was set up on purpose. And then when the United States Immigration Act of 1965, which reversed the United States position on the quotas that were established in the Chinese American Exclusion Act, so many more Filipino nurses were given... Visas to like come and work in the United States. Those numbers grew, and that's why a lot, a lot of fil- Filipinos are here now. The patterns of migration has have stayed steady since the 1970s until now.
1: Yeah, we actually have an article that's coming out. Who's writing about the gendered migration patterns of colonialism? Particularly, she's focusing on patterns of. Filipino migration to the U.S. Because I think before, like, 1935, it was mostly male. And then after they just, like, completely cut off any immigration from the Philippines or, like, they allowed, like, 35 people a year for a while or something.
0: The United States also has a history of blocking the immigration of Asian women or before the Second World War because they didn't want Asian men to procreate and, like, change the population of the United States. So that's yeah. why we had all of these bachelors camp. Uh, and right. so it was um, the first really concerted wave of immigration of Filipinas started when the United States needed nurses.
1: It just kind of blows my mind how much of this colonial history there is and how little we actually learn about it. Because like they did this in the Philippines and they also did this in Latin America and South America. The whole field of infectious diseases Disease Research was basically started because the Americans were going into Latin American and like Southeast Asian countries to colonize and they were like dying of malaria and yellow fever and shit like that. They started doing basically like the syphilis experiments that they were doing in Tuskegee on black Americans to the indigenous populations in Guatemala. Wow. And they basically used the infrastructure of, you know, the banana republics from the 1920s uh, to bring in doctors, you know, build hospitals and just like perform these fucking experiments on mostly, you know, like uh, like the brown population populations of guatemala (laughs) like the whiter like conquistador descended people in charge who are complicit with the u.s government they were coordinating all of this with the u.s government and it's just like so crazy like all of this shit happens and also how tied to colonial and military history science and medicine is i think that's something that people just completely don't realize or like they they are willfully ignorant of. but basically like a lot a lot of this medical and science history is just horrifying
0: it is it really is
1: they they set up these hospitals, uh, you know, a- after the war. What what was the war? Like
0: the Filipino American War was started in 1898. Um, they never really left, and the death toll continued to mount through. I want to say past the First World War. Even it's interesting, right? Like there were mass graves filled mm-hmm. with Filipinos in the Philippines that changed the topography of the lands. There are there are like hills that. That are built over mass graves. Oh my god! Like uh, that was a surprise uh, for me to learn when I was taking Filipino American studies uh, back in college. My professor was like, "Here are the bodies. Here's the hill that are now na- that that rose up over the bodies when they when they buried them in these ditches. It's super fucked up that they then uh, trained so Filipino women up. to like nurse the American soldiers." <laughs> after they're like killing uh, massive portions of the Filipino population.
1: So let me get this straight. The Americans came in, they killed off so many men that they made hills out of them. And then they set up all of these school, all of these training programs to uh, get these like widowed and fatherless women to learn how to uh, nurse the white man back to health. Yes. Oh, wow.
0: Yes. When I learned that putting together the website, it messed me up for days. Yeah, I would have to take a step back from like looking up articles and doing the summaries because it was just so, so staggering to me, Mm -hmm. right? And then like, I also had a death in the family, Um, related to related to all of this, uh, a family member of mine, a retired nurse, passed away, and his wife, my aunt, also contracted COVID. She was also a retired nurse. They were living uh, with my cousins, who are working in nursing and in the U.S. Postal Service. So, like, wow. my, my family members are on the front lines serving the American public through mail and through um, health care. And one of them died because of this, like, pipeline of nurses and this pipeline of nursing migration that was set up during a time of war where the United States was, like, subjugating my people. Like, it was, it was super traumatic to, to have to, like, learn that my uncle's death was basically planned in advance through through a history of colonization that's brutal
1: i'm so sorry you have to deal with that thank you um
0: i'm still processing so i'm like (laughs) i totally understand sorry i'm taking up ways it's okay no you're not this
1: is basically a space for that a platform for people to kind of like share the stories that aren't really being promoted it's like what what can't we talk about in asian diaspora issues yeah you know because i feel like a lot of times it's like media representation or just like these very very shallow issues or like we can talk about historical injustices but there's rarely any connection between what happened in the past and what is continuing to be
0: traumatizing us today so you know do whatever you want Thank you for giving me that space, but I also don't want to be too uh, United States centric because this this is affecting Filipinos in the, the diaspora in like the Commonwealth nations in the UK. And I should pass my time over to Charlene, who can speak to the situation in Canada. Yeah, why do you guys? What what should I share? Because there's a lot.
1: I guess I don't necessarily even know what's going on in Canada. Like, I just assume that it's better than what's going on in the U.S. But, like, what is the situation like in Vancouver right now? Is it healthcare for all? Is, is, does Canada have that? I don't actually even know.
2: Um, well Canada's healthcare system isn't privatized in the same way the United States is. It's like our tax dollars go towards our healthcare system. So we, we have a good health care system. I would classify that in terms of first world nations. You know, it's free. We don't because our tax dollars pay for it. So you know, you don't have to pay to go to the doctor, you don't you don't really have to pay to go to the hospital either, but it's not perfect in terms of the response to covid depending on which province you're from i mean overall it's been it's ha- it's been handled pretty well across canada but you know there's a lot of things that could still be improved i don't want people to think that it's just peachy here cuz it's not but in terms of the healthcare situation it's also not perfect. There's a lot of um, imperfections. And there is also a healthcare crisis in terms of workers. So similar to the United States, like Canada also really recruits a lot of healthcare workers from the Philippines. My mother, you know, came to Canada as a nurse um, in the 1970s. In terms of nurses now, there's not as many coming in working as nurses, they'll be working more as um, community healthcare workers, or licensed practical nurses, which means like they don't get paid as much and their benefits aren't as great.
1: Wait, what? Hold on, hold on. Are you serious? So they're just they're just nurses who get less pays and they have a different title.
2: Yeah, because also Canada like In the 1960s and 70s, if you're looking in terms of the history of the Filipino community in Canada, Filipinos did start coming to Canada in droves, not until the late 1960s, like mid to late 1960s. Some came in the 1950s, but they were diplomats that were setting up like the Filipino consulates in like the larger cities in the very 19, in the early 1950s, but they didn't stay very long. But the big drove was really in the 1960s. That's when Filipino nurses started to get recruited. So you could see about a 50 15 to 20 year, like recruitment of Filipino nurses from the Philippines. And then that started to really change economically in terms of the labor market, what was Canada trying to also do? Instead of really bringing in Filipino nurses, now they were trying to recruit more Filipino nannies, which they were doing, but this time it really made a jump in the 1980s. And it's pretty much still the same. This is all really related to Canada's labor needs, and also what's lacking in Canada. So we may have a really good healthcare system but we don't also have universal child care the recruitment of filipino nannies is really what replaces child care and it also fulfills elderly care so when it when it comes to covid and its relation to filipino um healthcare workers i think like in the states a lot of the outbreaks were really happening in nursing homes and that's where you'll find primarily a lot Like majority of of workers there will be Filipino healthcare workers, not necessarily nurses. So there was a shift in terms of what were the labor needs, or what was Canada willing, what they wanted, and in terms of what they can get. So it's really the cheapening of labor. So instead of just putting more money into childcare, they'll just amplify the recruitment of nannies under Canada's immigration system. To become a nanny in Canada, you need to be able to speak English or French. the two official languages of Canada, have a college or university degree, Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I've not kidding. Oh my God. So the thing is, is that the Philippines, in terms of the way the education system is set up, it's set up to really, you know, export its people. You're not really educated in the Philippines to stay, you're educated to leave. So Canada actually looks to the Philippines because it fulfills, like the Filipinos fulfill the requirements. Like A, Filipinos can speak English because they're taught in American English from kindergarten until they graduate university. They have have college and university degrees so it's not it's very very common very common to have domestic workers and nannies being like in terms of the filipino community across canada we are like the highest educated like among the highest educated immigrants and migrant workers but we are like amongst the lowest paid. You'll see mainly domestic workers and nannies who have nursing backgrounds or they're teachers or even architects or they're computer science majors or even engineers or teachers. And they're working as nannies, but the trend the trend really started in the 1990s when most domestic workers and nannies started having more of a nursing background. But these were also women that were working as nurses in other countries like Ireland, or Saudi Arabia, or even Hong Kong. And when they come to Canada, they're coming in as uh, nannies, which also really benefits Canada and the families that hire these women, because you can primarily hire a private nurse and pay them like the minimum wage to work in your house to take care of your elderly parents. And Canada does not have to invest in their education. At the same time, it's riskier for the women, because in one end, they're expected to do pseudo medical care, like administrating medicine to the elderly, if like, say, the grandparents live in the house, but they're not licensed nurses. So if something happens, they're on the hook for that. In some ways, like this is really where um, the cheapening of labor comes in and also where Canada greatly benefits. And it's not, they don't make it really easy for you to like to come into Canada as a nurse, especially if you're coming from the Philippines, because it's quite expensive actually to come here as a nurse Like Canada started to close its borders and became more protective of like Canadian born nurses, instead of really just allowing those who already have the education to come here and work as a nurse. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a bit of the history of Filipino nurses in Canada. And my mother who came here as a nurse in 1975, she saw the big shift. And I remember this growing up in the 80s, like I grew up with nurses like all around me. And there was this expectation that I was going to be a nurse. And my mother, who's like almost 70 now, she said like, you know, it's just crazy because when I came everybody was like looking for Filipino nurses like that's all like the entire Filipino community was just Filipino nurses and then fast forward to like 30 years later and she's like now we're just nannies and that's what they want from us but many of them have nursing backgrounds so it it is really it benefits this kind of recruitment of highly educated nurses working as domestic workers in Canada and nannies really benefits the Canadian state because they don't have to pay them um (laughs) they don't have to pay them the wages of nurses or give them or provide them with the benefits. And then they don't also have to provide or invest in their education.
1: Well, first of all, it sounds like the U.S. didn't just set up medical or like nursing schools. It seems like their enti- like the Philippines' entire educational system is just a pipeline for cheap labor. That is
2: correct. Yeah, because uh, migrant labor and export labor—that is the number one industry, like in the Philippines. Like that is how the Philippines stays afloat. They don't have national industries like mining or forestry or anything like that. Since 1972, since the the implementation of the labor export policy in 1972 during the dictatorship of Ferdinand Marcos, that's what became the source of income for the Philippines. So since 1972, it's really been the expectation is you don't stay here in the Philippines, you leave. And that is the expectation for like the firstborn child. You get educated, you leave right away, and you pay for all of your siblings education. And then the next one leaves and then sends money back. That's what the Philippines is. It's one of the top migrant nations in the entire world. I think it's India, Mexico, and the Philippines. They've always been like, not competing, but yes, competing in terms of the market for migrant labor.
0: And the reason that Philippine labor can be so cheap is because They export workers at a very young age. People in the Philippines, they graduate from high school much earlier than people educated all around the world, at least by two years, Mm -hmm. so that by the time they're 20, they can be done with their university education and they can leave so that they can send money back. And, like, without the labor export in the Philippines, Diana, like, that's it. There's no money in
2: the Philippines. This is the number one um, source of income, really. It's the remittances. It's the money that Filipinos send back to the Philippines.
1: I mean, I got to be honest. It sounds like slavery.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. I- <laughs> there's, no, there's no tiptoeing around it. I mean, that that is why a lot of our work in a firm is around human trafficking, like, of domestics, the trafficking of women.
1: Mm-hmm
2: and then if you look at it too it's also a way to really keep our communities poor because yeah. Filipinos just don't I mean I can I can talk about the experience in Canada and it's like some of us like because we're not all the same some Filipinos especially if they came in the 1960s 70s and early 80s have been able to establish fairly comfortable you know middle class lives and they deserve that because they, they've worked very very hard but things have really changed economically like when you're when the majority of your community is made up of migrant workers who are like nannies and their husbands when they're able to sponsor them come in to work as janitors and most domestic workers once they finish domestic work in Canada because what happens is that under the caregiver act in Canada if you come in to work as a caregiver you have to complete a change it changed recently but it used to be that you had to complete two years of live-in domestic work which means you live with your with a family that you work for you live with them either in your own room or in a Basement, you have to complete 24 months of live-in work within three years. And then you can start the process of acquiring your Canadian citizenship, which takes a very long time because it takes a lot of money. And if you're getting paid minimum wage and you are also sending the majority of your paycheck to the Philippines, it's you know it's hard to make it, right? Like you're not making any money. Yeah. And so most domestic workers and nannies, once they finish their 24 months of live-in work, a lot of times if they don't have have any support from other family members they usually stay in the service industry so here in Vancouver it's very common to see Filipino middle-aged and also senior women working in McDonald's or Burger King like it's very very common if they're able to get some sort of financial support if a family member of theirs who's also working abroad is able to lend them money they can also go to school and they'll try to get like go to a technical college where they can complete any kind of schooling within a year because that's all they could afford and they'll either try to go into like licensed practical nursing or care aid or community health anything that'll get them the next level and so that's like that's what my cousins have done they ended up taking like one year college programs and became like community health care workers they're not paid as much as nurses and they certainly don't get the benefits but it's a little better than what they would be getting if they were working in fast food overall this kind of recruitment of cheap labor in the filipino canadian community doesn't it benefits everybody else but it doesn't benefit the community
1: yeah Jesus Christ I'm getting so upset just hearing about this how how are you guys not livid every fucking day Uh, uh, well I
2: think we are like I am
0: I definitely am
2: yeah like when when I think about the Filipino Canadian community and how hard our community works and has been working for 50 years in this country and we're still like at the bottom I'm like we have paid so much and have taken how many like what three generations raising Canadian kids and then like we're left with nothing and then if you think of the contradictions how many decades like 30 years of Filipino workers or Filipino women providing nanny care and taking care of Canadian families what we found was is that a lot of of Filipino domestic workers have been providing all this childcare, but then when they bring their own kids, they have no access to childcare because there's no universal childcare. So it's like the service that they've been providing, like Filipino women have been providing for 30 years, they can't get that. Who can really afford a nanny? It's not a, a working class immigrant family. They're working more for like upper middle class and rich families. So those are the type of things, like when I think about the big picture, that really pisses me off. It's like, you've robbed us. The Canadian city has really, really robbed the Canadian or the Filipino Canadian community. It's going to be very hard for many Filipinos like across the board to really achieve a fairly comfortable life, you know, I think we will be really working for at least another generation or two.
1: Yeah, I think about, you know, everything that you said, and I just feel like the people that benefited the most from this are probably white women. Yes. White feminism was built on the backs of Filipino labor.
2: Well, a lot of it. I mean, I think Charisse, you could talk a little bit more about that. But I'll just say that in Canada, it's if you talk to like your average white liberal feminist, the thing that they talk about is like higher wages and childcare, which is that's exactly like what women need. But they don't talk about mm-hmm. the women that are actually providing the childcare. It's not in their consciousness, like when it comes to childcare. And I always try to push the issue that like th- there is childcare, but it's only really for a certain class of women and provided by... A certain class and race of women so there is child care but it's definitely not child care for working class women or immigrant families like that those benefits don't exist sure if you wanted to jump in or
0: my lens of saltiness if, if you will i like that i love that it doesn't necessarily <laughs> focus Mostly on white women. My experience is different living in Los Angeles because mostly it's healthcare workers that I am interface with in community that populate my life. My saltiness is most mostly focused on like this this call for representation when our community of Asian Americans in the United States isn't very aware of this history of exploitation amongst the Filipinos when we're talked about in the media it's still mostly like the transnational terrorist from like Mindanao or like the douchebag <laughs> dancer dj <laughs> have you seen crazy ex girlfriend guess i have i have i'm really salty about that show um mainly because i was raised in west covina <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like that that is not my city <laughs> That's not how Wescovina looks. When I watched the show, I was like, this is the whitest version of Wescovina I have seen in my life. <laughs> and I've lived there for over 30 years. <laughs> when I saw the characters, I was like, this is cool because like those characters exist but like there's also like a reason why those characters are the way that they are and it's because of these women who migrated this particular way. There's a reason That we have the kind of um, male douchebag dancer slash DJ slash aspiring actor. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that has now become a trope in Filipino American representation. It comes from this trauma that comes from this migration that comes from this colonial history that isn't even yeah. really like alluded to in a joking or like in a passing way. It's like it's ignored, and so like there's this context that's missing, and we're left to like see Jason from The Good Place throwing a Molotov cocktail, <laughs> his dad being donkey, duck and donkey doug like we don't (laughs) understand why donkey doug is the way that he is and the kind of father that he is without like understanding this deep colonial history we were all set up to like play these parts
1: You know, a lot of those writers are, like, super racist towards Asians. Like, um, that one writer that was, like, posting basically, like, hate messages on Twitter. It was, like, a long time ago, but whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They clearly haven't changed, and they clearly have not thought very hard about the Filipino representation. The other characters, they're, like, more humanized. They're well-rounded. But Jason is just too stupid to breathe, and that's how he got to... the bad place that's absolute fucking bullshit yeah you know and I think you're right to call that out and personally I think media representation is bullshit anyway it just completely does not go into context at all it just represents what is now and in a lot of ways it's inaccurate like West Covina and in other ways it's completely missing the
0: point agreed circling back to the good place if you think about it Jason's best friend pillboy aka Steven Pelias is a healthcare worker he's providing care work for the elderly and he's treated by the story as pretty disposable mm-hmm. yeah yeah which is what we're pointing out when we came up with kanlungan recognition is one of one of the things that we're asking for
1: yeah, just your your names aren't even mentioned. That's like an awful thing. It's like it's it's erasure. It's it's not even like media erasure. It's like real erasure of the person that was taking care of America.
2: Oh yeah. And I think like that's one thing that they like I think representation Across the board, they don't really recognize like immigrant labor. The only time like immigrant labor is talked about is like it's too much immigrant labor, you know, like it's a threat or immigrants are taking away jobs. And it's like, no, we've been providing so much for everybody.
1: It's immigrant labor and especially mm-hmm. the working class it's just like completely race. like even with representation focused Asian whatever it's, it's like all you know like white collar stories middle class girls problems and it's just bullshit it's like why are there so many fucking articles about yellow fever at NYU and nothing about healthcare workers and domestic workers like fuck all of you I just yeah. it pisses me off so much but anyway I'm glad you guys are out there keep doing what you're doing thanks
0: thank you we appreciate <laughs> we appreciate the being seen you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's important. The only way that you can really combat a pandemic like this is to treat it like a war. And the frontline workers, they're basically sacrificing their lives the same way that soldiers do. And like a fucking, you know, Vietnam war criminal essentially gets his name on a Mm. fucking memorial. You guys are making a memorial.
2: Thanks. You know, we had to split up and do some research on the names and photos. Myself and two other members of a firm had to check in with each other because it was like we had to stop at some point when you're researching because you are just reading the stories through articles about who this person was and there were just some stories that really break your heart like for me there's this one family in Chicago the Tarupi family and I think that if I think about this memorial th- it's a family that hits me the most because both of the parents the husband and the wife um, Louise and Josephine Tarupi were both healthcare workers Louise died from COVID and then his wife passed away a week later and then their youngest Son, Louise Jr. passed away as well. And now their only living son is actually here in Canada. It breaks my heart when I think about it that his entire family is gone. He couldn't really have a funeral for them. Because I think like once once a body dies of COVID, like they have to cremate it, right? So Filipinos know how to mourn, like we will mourn and grieve for like days. And I don't know if he was able to really do that. And so his like that story is the one that really sticks with me. When I think about that, it's like, this is also something that affects just families on a very, very personal level. And then it affects the entire community as well.
1: Yeah, if that guy was a white kid, they would have saving Private Ryan his ass.
2: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there would be like huge, you know, um, fundraisers for him. But it was like, just reading a story, it's like he's alone now. A death of a parent is already quite devastating. Mm -hmm. But then both of them pass away within a week of each other. And then your brother dies. Like your brother, you know, when your parents die, your siblings are there for each other, right? Yeah. And he doesn't even have his brother anymore. So those were the stories that really just galled me, which is why I really am proud to be part of this project as well.
1: These these kind of things, when they happen, I feel like they're hate crimes. Yeah. It's not the same as, like, a cop killing somebody. Then you can, like, point to that person mm-hmm. as who kills you. But this is, like, a systemic hate crime. Yeah. It's like an institutional hate crime.
2: Well, also because I think there's just not a lot of personal protection equipment and gear for a lot of healthcare workers. I, I mean, I think that you guys can talk more about in the States. I mean, in Canada, I think we're doing okay. But when you think about it, are, are they, do they have adequate protection as well to actually do their jobs? You know, that's really where you could
1: see the criminality of it all. Mm-hmm. They sure have enough tear gas at the <laughs> yeah. police station though. Let me tell you that.
2: Yeah. And, and protective gear for like all the cops.
1: Those fuckers are out like where is that for fucking nurses and a community health care worker it just pisses me off they are the same as nurses they're just getting paid less how is that acceptable
0: and speaking to like the lack of ppe i volunteered this spring uh with homemade homemade masks la which is which is a not well it's not even a nonprofit, profit but it's an organization that like Organize people in the San Gabriel Valley, a little bit east of LA to. So masks for frontline workers and like the fact that we as community members had to do that to like to provide for healthcare workers, it is essentially the government's job to like declare a state of emergency and like put these things into production. The fact that we as a community have to like fill that gap is just another way that the United States government is failing these women the fact that they train these women and like set up this infrastructure to bring them into the country to care for the American people the least that they should do is provide protective gear so that they can continue to care for people yeah
1: yeah a lot of the Filipino nurses who immigrated here during the AIDS crisis they're still working they're like in their 60s and 70s and they're still working. And now they're the most susceptible
0: to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they're still working because the state of the country's economics was so bad because of growing imperialism that like people in my age group down to my younger sister's age group, she's like 10 years younger than me, are underemployed, overeducated. So we have student loans and underemployed. So we can't pay them. So we rely on the help of our parents. Mm hmm. But yeah, we're fucked on all fronts, right? It's just the exploitation is multifaceted. Yeah. In Canada as well. So
2: yeah, it's similar. I mean, it's different, but it's the same.
0: Is it better at all
1: or not really? In Canada or? Yeah. Um, I, think I guess it's just different.
2: It's just a different kind of exploitation. I mean, Canada has a different history than the United States. And I think it has a different culturally, it's a little different as well, which doesn't make it better. Like I think that in terms of Canada's denial of racism, that's pretty high. So it also makes it harder to talk about issues of racism and exploitation across Canada, because most Canadians, aka white Canadians will never see themselves that way. They'll see themselves as you no know, nice people who apologize all the time. It's like you can't you know you have to be polite about it when these issues are not polite you know you like there is this sensibility that you have to approach it with and it's not easy so it's a different kind of exploitation and I think that most people wouldn't even recognize domestic workers like they don't see it as a problem and there's a classification of most Canadians will know that a nanny is aka a Filipino woman but they don't really think about them you know like you're we're we're visible but we're very invisible in so many ways like you'll notice them in fast food restaurants but um, there,
1: you could just tell that nobody really cares. Like nobody cares. It's being hyper visible and invisible at the same time
2: that's exactly what it is and so nobody really thinks about you know these communities and like you know the kind of work that they've been providing and the services so it is different it doesn't mean that it's better because as a Canadian watching everything that's going down in the United States and the debate here amongst like people of color in Canada is that yes we see what's going on in the United States and it's horrible and you know there's a lot of support and rallies and and um like support and solidarity rallies that have been happening here as well at the same time it's like Canada can't also talk about its own history of racism towards people of color towards indigenous people and I think that that kind of denial makes it we don't know how to deal with it the kind of racism that has been born and bred and is like amplified right now in the United States and so I think a lot of Canadians think like well because that kind of stuff doesn't happen here we're not very racist and it's like we're just very quiet about it so it just makes it harder I think to really talk about it because denial is really embedded in Canadian culture so I think Canadians like to point fingers at, at America quite a bit but then you can't even with mm-hmm. the fact that you know there's a high number of missing and murdered indigenous women who get killed every single day or first nations like reservations don't even have clean running water or have water period so it's like things like that that it's hard for me as a woman of color to look at Canada and think like we're very polite and non-racist when I see the racism all around me. I hope people can see more of the connections in terms of our communities, like across the border as well. Very happy to be part of Kanlungan and to be able to have shared the stories of Filipino healthcare workers here in Canada, and how we're very similar to communities in in the United States who are also struggling as well.
1: You know, one thing that worries me about the protests that are happening now is, uh, I'm worried that it's going to Like all these people congregating, even if it's for a good cause, it's going to seed new infections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just going to become a greater burden on healthcare workers, a lot of whom are, you know, immigrant workers or people of color, other people of color. Yeah.
2: yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that because I think about it as well, and it's like, yeah, it's like you can't not take action with what happened and what's been happening. I wish the healthcare system was better. I mean, it's it is hard to grapple with.
0: On that note, one of my <laughs> one of my last thoughts is fuck imperialism, because <laughs> that's what brought us all here to this um, perfect storm of bullshit that 2020 has thrown at all of us. Also, I would like to I would like to end this conversation by... Um, saying that I hope that more people understand the history of migration and that people recognize that these women, or most mostly these women, some men as well, uh, have been taking care of us. The least that we can do is honor our dead, try to be a little bit better in the ways that we treat our care workers, both collectively and individually. Agreed.
1: <laughs> Agreed. Uh, are there any funds that we can donate to
0: well yes (laughs) there is (laughs) there is a space to donate on kanlungan.net okay we'll post those in the show notes thank you thank you well
1: thanks so much for joining me
0: Thank you, Diana, for having us.
1: Anytime. So this has been another episode of Escape from Plan A. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Anywhere there's podcasts, please rate us. And consider donating to our Patreon. All right. Have a great night. Bye.
0: Bye. we